Welcome to Fifth Draw Wild, everybody. I'm your host, Matt, and if this is your first time with us, this is a show where I interview people about the slices of pop culture that they're most passionate about. We're jumping right into our episode today. I hope you enjoy it. And our guest today is uh, Sky, back again to finish up uh, our discussion of uh, Avatar. Sky, welcome back. Thank you very much for having me. I can talk about this all day, like we have been. <laughs> Let's dive right back in. Uh, last time we talked about the characters and the social dynamics, and uh, we talked about the first series, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Today right. we're going to start off with Avatar Legend of Korra. The Legend of Korra is, I would say, phenomenally underrated. When it first came out and I heard about it, I was incredibly stoked. And honestly, it lived up to my ex- expectations. It's it's really good. Like, people don't get it, give it enough credit. It is. It's, it is a great show. It has a really complex and pretty amazing story that we're going to get into. And it does just some really cool things with the world. So... Um, yeah. let's start at the beginning and let's, uh, let's, let's hit the plot of this thing. <laughs> All right. So, uh, I mentioned this in the previous episode, but the first thing, or the, our first introduction to Korra is she's a little girl. And the first thing she says is I'm the avatar and you have to deal with it. Uh, and she kind of maintains that mentality up to the point where we regain, uh, or where we meet her again. She, um, has been taken in by the White Lotus uh, and been trained in all of the forms of bending except for air so far. Tenzin, who is the son of Avatar Aang and Korra, uh, is going to be her airbending teacher because he's the only one left, basically. Uh, so Tenzin learned all all the techniques that Aang knew, I would assume, because why would Aang keep anything from his son? Aang was trying to unite the nations as a whole in the time after the Hundred Years' War ended and when Korra picks up, and he helped build uh, Republic City, which serves as, I guess, a hub would be the best way to say it, for all of the nations. Everybody can come here and live their lives and be, you know, there's no rivalries, per se. But that, uh, <laughs> because there's so many different people there, like that spikes a whole different other set of problems than, you, than what had been expected. So uh, there's a council uh, that has... Uh, representatives from each nation on it and they make decisions for the city uh, but none of them are non-benders which causes a little bit of a rift between the bending or the bending people and the regular people who can't manipulate anything when Tenzin is supposed to come to the southern water uh, tribe which is where Korra has been trained for her whole life uh, he can't stay because he's needed in Republic City because he's a member of the council and there's a lot of stuff happening because there's an equalist movement that has come up. So, Korra, who's uh, strong-willed... That was putting it very nicely. <laughs> I'm trying to be polite. Korra, she's not a patient person and she doesn't want to have to wait to learn the last element because she mastered the first three with you know very little effort she's a, a natural at all of them well obviously she's a natural at them because she's the avatar she's done it literally a thousand times so she breaks out and she takes her polar bear dog and she goes to republic city where she is met with a lot of awesome stuff like i love the design and the idea for republic city it's basically like 1940s era like, there's Model T cars driving around. There's, uh, like, awesome sort of Asian-inspired swing music playing all the time. Ah, uh, it's so great. We get the the classic <laughs> World War II, this today in history or whatever. You know, Watch out for that Hitler. He's a bad egg. That kind of speaker. It's so great. It is. It's a really, really good aesthetic. And it's 
it's a completely different one than anything we really got in uh, Last Airbender. Yeah. And it serves as just a really great touchstone to, hey, we're in the same world, but things have changed. Yeah. Like, there's electricity. There's uh, a whole bunch of other stuff that's happened. Korra doesn't know where she is. She's never been out of the out of the Southern Water Tribe. So she's kind of just wandering around, not really understanding what, you know, what to do. She knows she has to make it to the Air Temple, but she doesn't know where it is. So she's just wandering around. And she runs afoul of uh, a gang. They're known as the uh, Triple Threat Triads. I love this idea. Uh, there's three goons who are doing like a protection racketeering scheme. There's a waterbender, a firebender, and an earthbender. <laughs> uh, Cora realizes what's happening because they're going to wreck up a dude's shop because he doesn't have the money to pay. And she's just like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> it's awesome because they're all dressed like gangsters, but from like 1920s Asia that doesn't exist. And uh, the waterbender reaches into his coat because he has a pouch of water inside his coat. Oh, I love it. And he throws water at Korra, and she catches it in her hand, throws it back at him, freezes his head, and then kicks him into a car. And it's awesome! Korra doesn't know restraint, I think is the best way to put it, because in trying to rescue this guy, she also wrecks up two other shops, crashes a car, and tears up a street, and is arrested. That's going to be kind of a common thread for Korra. She doesn't quite get it. She's got the mentality that I am the Avatar. Yeah. I um, can do what I want towards my own goals. And, I mean, that would have flown at a different time, but this is a wholly, wholly different uh, social structure. Uh, so that doesn't fly as well, especially because we got uh, Toph Beifong's daughter as chief of police. Much like her mother, she don't take no guff. She's very protective of her city. So, in the city, I mentioned earlier, there is an equalist movement headed by a gentleman named Aman. Now, Aman claims to be a regular person... Uh, whose family was murdered by a firebender simply because they weren't benders. And that's what's... He's using that emotional manipulation to, to stoke his cause, basically. A lot... Some of his points do make sense, like, we shouldn't have to live under the thumb of benders just because we can't bend. Yeah, I mean, accident of birth shouldn't grant you rights over somebody else just because you were born differently. I fully, 100% agree with that. But also, he's claiming that he has been you know, charged with something by the gods, which is not a thing I will back, usually. I mean, believe what you want, but, like, if somebody tells you, God told me to do this, maybe ask, maybe examine their beliefs again, just to make sure you agree with them completely before you fall in with them. But anyway, Korra is, uh, she's not good at airbending because she has no patience, and uh, Tenzin doesn't understand how to teach her. So, if, like, he's being overprotective, and he doesn't want her to leave the temple, and she isn't going to listen to him. So, <laughs> in one of her ventures out, she runs into some professional benders, um, Bolin and Mako. They're brothers. They are members of the Fire Ferrets, uh, a pro-bending team. She ends up falling in with them. Like, she joins their team after their waterbender uh, quits on them. And Tenzin is against this, of course, but she uh, doesn't listen to him and just does what she wants anyway. And then he realizes that her learning style is different, so he'll have to adapt to what she needs in order for him to teach her how to do airbending. And it's it's great. Like, you get all these subtle moments between the characters where, like, oh, oh, I understand you a little bit better now, so let me adjust so that we can work together towards the same goal. Eventually, they run into, well, more accurately, Asami runs into Mako with her moped, and she becomes a member of the team. Uh, Asami Sato is the daughter of Hiroshi Sato, who has invented the Sato Mobile, which is their version of the Model T, 
And she is a very wealthy industrialist inventor. She's my favorite character in the show. She's so great, guys. So as uh, Legend of Korra progresses, uh, Aman becomes more and more powerful. Like he stages uh, protests and then stages assaults on like the pro bending tournaments and so forth. And like he and his followers have developed chi blocking skills and they have developed these taser gloves that help uh, even the playing field. There comes a point where Korra and Mako have to rescue Bolin because he's been taken by uh, the, the, the equalist and they're planning to steal his bending. Like Aman has to, like he backs up his claim by actually stealing some people's bending away, which is, you know, existentially terrifying for everybody because that's not a thing anybody but the Avatar could do. And that's genuinely horrifying. He goes after a couple of criminals first, um, and then, like, it just goes off the rails from there. Like, he starts assaulting people. Uh, eventually, Korra joins a task force, and she starts fighting against the Equalists, and then uh, uh, she challenges Aman, and Aman easily bests her. And, and, like, she has this really, really dark moment where she feels fear for the first time. It just escalates more and more and more, and eventually, at the end of the season, Asami realizes her dad hates Benders, even though he sponsored... Uh, Team, or the, the fire ferrets in the bending tournament and he resents her a little bit for dating Mako and he wants her to join him but she can't do it because th- it's wrong what he believes is wrong and she ends up tasing and imprisoning her own dad it's this really powerful moment where she has to make the choice and she makes it without hesitation like he developed these mech suits made out of platinum so nobody can metal bend them and he just wants to hurt people and she can't do that and then and she shy, she sides with Team Avatar. It's great. Yeah, this 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 series more so even than the last one really does emphasize like the personal struggles a lot more. Like there are many more roots involved in this one, whereas in the previous one it was just kind of a wandering band of do-gooders. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to to describe them. Yeah, as the se- or season progresses, uh, Korra is abducted by Tarlock. Uh, who's a member of the council, she frees herself, and then she has to face Amon again. And he steals her bending. It comes down to it, and and he bests her. And this is horrifying to her, because that's all she's ever known. This is how she defines herself, and then she doesn't have it anymore. And it's traumatic to the point where she unlocks her airbending ability, and she throws him out a window, and he falls into a, a bay. And, we re- and, like, he's outed as a fraud. Like, the, the scars that he had on his face from the firebending incident are fake. They wash right off and uh, he has to flee. So all these people have lost their bending. Tarlock and uh, his brother, whose name I forget, but he's Aman, um, they make their way off in a boat and Tarlock chooses to kill them both. Ah, it gets real heavy, y'all. Korra is heartbroken because she doesn't know how she's going to go on without being able to bend. Like all she has is air. And it's not an element she's familiar with or comfortable with, even. Uh, And she has this moment where Avatar Aang comes to her and basically teaches her how to, like, spirit bend, kind of. Not spirit bend, but, like, energy bend. And she realizes that uh, the the mental, like, the thing that that Amon was doing was he was bloodbending on, on, like, a microscopic level in their brain. And she figures out how to fix it. This was supposed to just be a limited series. There were only 12 episodes uh, scheduled for production. Which means that they needed to wrap this up so they didn't know that they were getting a second season. So, like, the last couple episodes get, I don't know, quick. Like, it happens and it feels rushed. But that's not their fault. They needed to to finish the story and, like, 
it would have been nice if they had gotten the same amount of episodes like the first season of Avatar did because they got 20 something episodes to like take some time to breathe and like tell a, a like a side story but this one has to be all business and from top to bottom it's not their fault that it, ha- it feels rushed but m- m- moving on the story doesn't end there thankfully it doesn't so we get a second season. what do we get going on further in season two well season two we get a lot of awesome water bending I personally am a huge fan of waterbending. I think it's awesome. Korra's uncle is the leader of the Northern Water Tribe. He uh, wants to build a bridge, basically, between the Northern and Southern Water Tribes. He, of course, ends up being our villain, but he has learned how to uh, spirit bend. Like, he can calm uh, raging spirits, which is, uh, which is this book is called Spirits. Uh, the last book was Air. Korra trains with him for a little while. Uh, she learns how to calm spirits using water bending. Over the course of this series, or of this book rather, her uncle's manipulating her into opening the the spirit portals so that he can get in there and free an evil spirit. Uh, in this season, we get the origin of the Avatar, and it's an incredible story. You know, eons ago, uh, all of the spirits were basically a part of this world and the spirit world uh they were just running rampant and then earth or uh human settlements were made on lion turtles because the lion turtles kept them safe from the spirits the lion turtles could imbue people with power over the elements you know air fire water earth whatever and uh one of them wanted to live in the spirit wilds so he took fire and then ran off and lived out there for two years before he met another person and that was Juan. Juan was the first avatar he accidentally was tricked, or he was tricked by Vatu, who is the spirit of darkness and chaos, into freeing him from Rava, the spirit of light and order. This, of course, threw the world out of balance, and in order to make things right, he went to the other lion turtles, got the other abilities for bending, and uh, teamed up with Rava in order to uh, replace the balance in the world. He eventually is able to capture Vatu and s- imprison him in a place in the spirit world that has the tree of time and he sticks him in there so that for all time he'll be trapped and unable to uh to harm anybody else but naturally every ten thousand years there's a harmonic convergence which uh is when rava and vatu would fight and whoever wins dictates what the world is going to be like for the next ten thousand years so if rava loses there's going to be ten thousand years of darkness and violence and stuff like that so Unalak's plan is to become the Dark Avatar and change the world. And Korra has to learn basically not only how to, you know, calm the spirits, but everything about her past in order to defeat this guy. This is the weakest of the seasons. Uh, It does end with a kaiju fight, which is super weird and kind of comes out of nowhere, but it's fine. She, of course, ends up winning and harmonic convergence happens. And Vatu is defeated, and therefore we don't have to live in darkness for 10,000 years, which is pretty great. Yeah, that's always a good outcome, really. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can see your hands, usually a good day. So, her story's still not over. Uh, that moves us into Season 3. Uh, Harmonic Convergence had a weird side effect. We discover that in the wake of the energy wave that happened, a lot of spirit vines have taken over Republic City, and other people are noticing that they're able to airbend. Like... I don't know, no, it's not really explained how or why, but people who normally couldn't can now airbend, which is awesome. Like, my uh, my major problem with the first series is why would some people known as the Air Nomads all be in one spot? Like, I was really hoping that in this season, or in the series, they're going to be like, yeah, 
uh, some of them were just away. There was like a whole other city of them, like or city's worth of them around. But that doesn't come up. Instead, they're just reborn in harmonic convergence, which is fine. We got Airbenders again. It's awesome. Team Avatar basically goes, uh, decides that they're gonna head around, find all of the Earth or the the newly abled uh, Airbenders, and bring them all into one community. That way, they can learn of their heritage of the art of Airbending. Which is pretty rad. Tenzin is super excited because he takes this very seriously. Yeah, Teacher Tenzin's pretty great. Oh, he's... Uh, I love Tenzin so much. Because he's a no-nonsense kind of guy, but he also seems like he's a cool dad, you know? With the kids he's raising, he kind of has to be. You, sir, are not wrong. Yeah. He has uh, three kids, two daughters and a little son, and a baby on the way. Uh, and they're all airbenders. One of his daughters is super attuned with spirits, which is something that comes into play later on in no in season two like she can see spirits and talk to them and like she has to lead Korra into the spirit realm uh and Tenzin kind of resents that but he's also super proud of her for being able to do it because like he spent his entire life learning and about the spirit realm and he just can't get there and he's kind of disappointed but now he has all these airbenders to play with so that's awesome some of the uh the new airbenders are in a city uh that is created pretty much entirely out of metal and Korra actually learns how to metal bend which is pretty rad uh, Bolin also tries, but he just he just can't do it, and he's depressed by that. But he gets to meet a young lady by the name of Opal, and she is adorable and wonderful. Yeah, they think that they're going to be safe there uh, because this uh, city actually has like walls that they can move because they're made of metal. It closes up like a lotus. There is a guy who also got some bending powers. His name is Zahir. He breaks out of a prison. He's a, such a dangerous man that he's kept in isolation and he was dangerous before he got any bending ability but now he can fly or he can you know use the air bending to glide and fly and jump and stuff so he reassembles his team he's a member of the red lotus the red lotus was a team of people that wanted to overthrow all of the governments of the the, the worlds that they live on they want to rule through chaos which again doesn't super make sense to me but whatever you guys do you so on his team there are uh, three people. They are each terrifying. We've got a woman who was born without arms who can uh, waterbend. It's pretty rad what she does. She, uh, through, I don't know, some unknown form of bending, like she's able to make tentacles that uh, act as her arms. Her name is um, Ming Hui. She's a, a scary woman. There's also Gazan, who's an earthbender who they kept in a wooden cage out at sea so he couldn't get any earth to bend. What he can do is... When I first saw it, what I thought was just amazing and brilliant. He can take rocks and turn them into liquid hot magma. He cuts straight through his wooden cage and escapes. And uh, of course there is Pili, who is a firebender who knows the method of combustion bending, like combustion man. They all meet up with Zaheer and they are just gonna, you know, they're gonna wreck up the place, basically. They have no problem murdering whoever's in their way. And they actually succeed quite a bit, don't they? Yeah, they make a lot of headway. Like, they they do want to kill the Avatar, but first thing they do is uh, they take out the Earth Queen. They work for her briefly as they're trying to track down the Avatar. Once they have the opportunity, Zaheer puts a bubble of, I guess, basically, he pulls all of the breath out of her lungs using his airbending and then keeps the air away from her mouth and nose until she suffocates to death. And that is, that is as raw as it gets. Like, in uh, Avatar, we see a waterbender who can bloodbend and control other people's body movements and such. But we also see her pulling water out of trees. And really, there's no reason she shouldn't be able to do that to people also. But they don't because it's a kid's show. And they're like, you know what? Now we're just going to straight kill people on screen 
pretty graphically. In a way that personally terrifies me to my core. That is one of my very deep-seated fears of suffocation. They uh, they throw the Earth Kingdom into chaos, basically just because. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of inequality there as well. Like, uh, the, the poor people and the rich people were separated very literally by walls and tiers, uh, and they just wanted to make everybody on the same playing field. I get that. But also... You guys are just, like, not doing it in a way that will be conducive to, like, civilization. After that happens, they are able to stage, like, uh, a meeting with the Avatar, Korra, and uh, she has to turn herself over or they'll kill X amount of people or whatever because they have abducted all of the uh, the airbenders and they plan to kill them all. And, you know, you can't have that. There's only, you know, 20 of them now. You need... You, they just arrived. So they, they do the deal, but, like, in the process, Pili is murdered <laughs> also pretty graphically the combustion bending is shot from the forehead and what happens is uh su Beifang's sister the leader of this uh this metal city i forget her name but um she takes off her metal armor chest plate and hucks it and collapses it over Pili's head and she blows up her own head guys that is pretty severely dead <laughs> And it's, it's messed up. But what this does is because she was romantically involved with Zaheer, this severs his last tie to this world. And because he's now an airbender, dude can straight up fly now because he is above it all in a, in a pretty real way. So he's able to abduct Korra. He strings her up in an underground cavern and she's chained with platinum. His plan is to heavy metal poison her using mercury. Uh, and that will force her into the avatar state. He's going to kill her in that state, thereby... Ending the line of avatars. I don't know how they know that's going to end the line because it hasn't happened before because we still have avatars, but this is common knowledge that if you kill the avatar in the avatar state, the avatar line ends. So he has metal benders force the metal or the liquid metal in through her skin and it messes her up. Like she is fighting it for a while, but ultimately she does go into the avatar state. She is able to free herself uh, partially because Mako and Bolin come to help her. And awesomely, Bolin is, finds out that he is also a lava bender, and it's rad. Korra is badly hurt, and she starts fighting Zaheer. She enters the Avatar state, so she, she has a link to all that power and knowledge and stuff, but like she's running out of steam because she is poisoned. So while she's fighting with Zaheer, Mako and Bolin are dealing with Gazan and the waterbender whose name escaped me again. This season is rad because in the end of the third season of the first uh, airbender, it ends with a waterbender taking out a lightning bender or a, a firebender who shoots lightning. But this season is ended with a firebender ending the fight against a waterbender with lightning. And it's it's weird how they do those parallels and opposite. And I love how they do it. It's so great. Once that fight is done, Zaheer and Korra are fighting and she's losing steam and she is badly hurt. And then all of the airbenders team up and create a vol or not a volcano. They create a tornado that sucks Zaheer down until she's able to be, or he is trapped by some earthbenders and Korra is able to be recovered. And uh, Toph's other daughter, whose name I should really look up, but I'm not going to, uh, is able to pull most of the mercury out of her. Well, it seems like it's all of it at that time, but she pulls it all out and he, she seems to be okay. But she is messed up. Like the end of the season, she is in a wheelchair. Like she is, like she's beaten. She is just not speaking. She's speaking very quietly if she speaks at all. And it ends with Jinora, that is Tenzin's daughter's name. She becomes an airbending master and gets her tattoos. And the uh, the season just ends with Korra looking at her and just crying. 
and it's oh boy i it's so it's oh man it's it's rough guys not be not because it's bad but because it hurts on the inside we keep going um because they did give this one a fourth season they did and i'm so glad they did because they left it so not great right there like that's so depressing and they could have gone anywhere but they made it so sad we open up and it has been several years after uh anything has happened like Cora's missing like she's just she's just gone she's dealing with her ptsd she doesn't want to she hasn't been writing to bolin or mako she has been writing to asami like we get an episode of Cora alone where she's struggling with this and like she wants to go back but she can't connect in season two she lost her connection to the to the light spirit and in season three she almost died and was poisoned and like she's really messed up so she's just trying to be better again like she's doing underground like bending fights and stuff and she's just losing and it's not it's not good for her bolin has joined up with kuvira and he's trying to help her rebuild the earth kingdom because it was thrown into chaos and there was no leader the only person who might be able to lead like the only true heir to the throne is this goofy doofus who uh is not really fit to be earth king mako uh became a detective uh for uh for Republic City, and he is now charged with taking care of this doofus. And uh, Katara, or not Katara, well, Katara is around, but she's not in this episode. Korra just, uh, she eventually finds Toph out in the wilds, and Toph tells her to, you know, stop being such a baby and go do your job. Toph also senses that there's still some mercury in there, so Korra does it herself, and she removes the last of the poison out of her body and uh, decides to go back. Asami is able to meet up with her. Kavira has gotten... Like, she's become a dictator. She has no patience for anybody. She's just taking over and ruling by force, and that's that's not a great position to be in. You know, Korra realizes that she has to do a thing, but Kuvira has been in development with a different couple of scientists, uh, and they have developed a method of taking the spirit vines and turning them into what is essentially a fuel source, and it's very incredibly destructive. Like, it's taking down mountains, and, of course... <laughs> They decide to build a Megazord and place a giant uh, Spirit Vine cannon on there. Because what else would you do with it? So Team Avatar reassembles um, after a lot of duress and problems. They put them aside to team up again. And Kuvira makes it to Republic City. And she's just going to take over because this is the, the main source of the government. And she's walking this giant robot in. And Korra and everybody have to face off against a giant robot. It's awesome. Like, there's a moment where Asami builds, like, these mech suits that can fly with, like, uh, hummingbird wings. Korra and Kuvira just have to face off against each other, and it ends with Korra saving Kuvira from her own machine of mass destruction. And it's, uh, it's so beautifully done. I love, I love this show. It's so underrated, guys. Go watch it right now. So, the threat is over. Kuvira's been dealt with. Republic City is more or less putting itself back together. The Earth King learned how, or the, the heir to the throne, learned some humility and learned that he needs to be a better leader. He needs to try harder. And as such, he is, uh, he's you know, taking his place. So that kind of frees up some time. So Korra asks Asami to go on a vacation with her. Or the other way around. I think Asami might ask her. Because uh, very, very subtly over the last couple of seasons, the creative team have been hinting that there might be something more than friendship developing between these two. And as they walk away, as they enter the spirit realm together, they are holding hands in a, in a not necessarily platonic manner. 
And then the creators confirmed that, yeah, they're a couple now. And that's awesome. They were, they're so good together. They're a great team. Like, there are some scenes where Asami is taking out some dudes on motorcycles with Korra, and it's great. Oh, I love this show, guys. It's so good. And it's it's another one of those things that they did real subtle. Like, yeah. they just let it build up, and they didn't they didn't do a whole lot of bells and whistles on it. They're just like, yeah, they're, they're in love. Deal with it. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever. It's, it's great. They're great together. Yeah. Well... After all of that amazingness, we do have to take a dive and spend the last few minutes here um, talking about a real turd. <laughs> this is one of those things where everybody involved, like all of the fans, simultaneously agreed, nope, that never happened. Like that one time when Wolverine was feral and had no nose, that never happened. The time where Nightcrawler was revealed to have an actual demon dad, nope. We're not going to acknowledge that. That's not a thing that happened. Uh, the last Airbender movie is the pinnacle of, yeah, we're not going to talk about that ever. So I'm going to discuss it now, and then afterwards, we will never discuss it again. There are there are several egregious crimes that this does. Um, it follows the plot of the first book, roughly, of yeah. Avatar, Last very, Airbender. Very roughly. All of your characters certainly turn white. <laughs> well... I want you to imagine everything that you loved about a thing. Now imagine some dude who didn't really know anything about it came and stripped all of that away and then made a movie about it. That's basically what we got. The creator spent five years developing Avatar The Last Airbender as a series. This is a thing that they loved intensely, and it shows in every single frame of Avatar The Last Airbender. The studio decided to cast M. Night Shyamalan. I'm going to pronounce his name correctly once so you know who it is. They, ca- they, they, they hired him on as director for reasons I am not clear on other than his name has recognition. And I watched, I, today, I watched the, uh, uh, the in- interview between the creators, Michael DiMartino and Brian Konetsko with M. Night Shyamalan. And it's, I, I wish I could reach through the screen and be like, guys, bail out now. Because they're so excited. Well, they seem to be so excited. Like, they're having fun with them, and it, they don't know what's coming. And I wish I wish I could tell them. I wish I could warn them. Because M. Night Shyamalan, he was not a fan of the show. Like, he's embarrassed by the show. Because, like, his kid was into it. And he refused to watch it with his kid until a certain point. And then they watched it. And then he claims to have fallen in love with it. But then, if anybody he didn't know came over to his house, he was like, Oh, don't worry about Don't look at that. We don't watch that. That's, that's just for the kids. It's like, you cannot be afraid to say, I love this thing. If you're going to devote a a huge portion of your life to it, which is what happens when you're a director. This is his first project that wasn't something that he came up by himself. All of his other movies are original to him. That's doubly bad, dude. That's one thing if you screw up on something that you created, because at least it's still true to your vision. You took someone else's thing and made it really unenjoyable. And that is remarkable based on the, the subject material that you had, that you had access to. And he, uh, all through that interview, he's like, yeah, when we do the next one, oh, I hope we get all the way to the third one. We're going to do three of these. Nope. No, you're not, man, because you you suck so hard. Okay. Okay. We're, we're yelling here and not actually getting anywhere. So <laughs> we, we need to pull back a little bit. I would apologize, but I'm not going to because he sucks that bad. The problem, the first problem that you're going to notice if you watch this movie is nobody pronounces anything. Everything important is not pronounced correctly. Like, they pronounce Avatar as Avatar. Avatar is a real word. It's actually a Sanskrit... It comes from two separate Sanskrit words. It's from Ava, meaning down, and 
tar, meaning to cross, which roughly translated means descendant, which is perfect for for, for what he is, because he is the descendant of all of the previous avatars. Right off the bat, they say avatar wrong, and then they m- mispronounce basically everybody important's names. Like, it's Soka, and Iro, and Ung. You know how they say Aang's name twice in the opening credits of Avatar The Last Airbender? They say it wrong in this whole movie. M. Night Shyamalan uh, will have you know that it's because it's closer to the real pronunciations, which is based on no information because these guys made up these names. There is no... This is... They made the correct pronunciation. You're just doing a bad job. Not only is his name wrong, but his entire characterization is wrong with Sokka. Yes, he's just some white guy. That's a problem. Uh, also, Katara, uh, also just some white girl. Aang, also some white guy. Some white kid sent in his karate demonstration to ShamWow, and he's like, yeah, let's cast this kid. I don't know if he can act. He can't. Uh, but it's probably fine, right? It's not. They took all of the humor, all of the life, out of all of these characters, and just took it all away. And instead, made an incredibly serious movie about a thing that didn't need to be. Like, that is what made the X-Men movie work, is they took it seriously, but up to a point. Like, there were still jokes and things that were funny. There are arguably three actors in this movie that can do the job. Dev Patel, who plays uh, Zuko. We've got Seychelle Gabrielle, who, as I mentioned in the previous episode, plays uh, Princess Yue. And Asif Manvi, who plays General Zhao. Now, I, I, I would like to point out General Zhao. That is a very Japanese name. And I only bring this up because... The Fire Nation uh, is cast as Indian, which is fine, but it's a it's just a little, you know, disparate. I would just I just think it's weird that uh, they chose to keep the name the same. If you're gonna change the race, why not just change the name and make it something more, you know, fitting to the culture? And also, General Iro is some white guy, some random skinny white guy with a full head of hair. General Iro is a tubby jolly guy. Yeah, they they just messed up kind of on every conceivable character front, and fortune, and that just echoes off into what they do with the story, which is you know Mangle a it? season of television that they tried to shove into two hours. Yeah, it's it's what twenty four episodes of a show, and they try to distill it into a two hour movie, which actually wasn't even a two hour movie. Didn't he? Or this was his longest his longest movie, but it was still fairly short. It's not good, whatever whatever it is, but it meant that they skipped over a whole lot of things that were... Important. I mean, yeah, the Real? first season has oh, a lot it's... of filler, but it lets you get to know the world, and that's important. Yeah, some of them were filler episodes, but also that lets you connect to the characters. That makes you want them to succeed. In this, we don't know why they're doing what they're doing for, like, really... Like, we get an opening text crawl, then we get a lot of narration telling us why everybody's doing what they're doing, but we don't really get to see it. The connection to the character is what we need for the story to be important to us. And instead, we get nothing. Like, they save one village, and that or two villages, and that's it. And then they go to the northern water temple. Yeah, they don't go to the air temple, they don't do any of this very important stuff. Yeah. Well, they do visit a, an air temple where Aang sees that everybody's dead. Big takeaway from this is, listen, uh, guys, don't watch this movie. It's not worth your time or effort. No, I mean, I might, on my podcast, I might make Jake watch, watch it once we get there, because it is a failed pop culture. That would be funny. Yeah. They, the bending is, is, some of the effects are okay. I will admit that. But ultimately, like, there's so much motion with very little bending. There is a scene, you can Google it, type in Pebble Dance, 
you'll see it. There are six earthbenders doing a, a dance to move a little tiny rock, and then a different one has to punch, and then it flies. And there's so much wasted motion, and, like, the firebenders can't produce fire, and it sucks. When Zuko confronts Katara in the northern air, or in the northern water tribe uh, spirit place, that is their first meeting. That is the first time they meet Zuko. Like, she has to introduce herself. In the cartoon, that was a major contention because Katara beats him in that battle. Like, he only bests her because the sun comes out and he gains power from that. They have had a, a relationship that has been built up over the course of 20-something episodes. And in the movie, they're just like, oh, hey, I'm Katara. Awkward introduction. And then she loses a fight because she doesn't use her peripheral vision. It sucks so hard for that character because... She's so capable and competent, and instead she just kind of gets knocked out in a, two hits, and it sucks. Uh, but Sachel Gabrielle's in there, and she's pretty good. So yeah, uh, listen, the show's real good. Don't watch the movie. Yeah, you know, you know how I came to watch Avatar. I watched wow. this. I watched this garbage fire first. Like I saw oh, the trailer. Bloody. I saw the trailer of uh, the kid doing the airbending with the candles, and that looks rad. And then they cut the trailer together with other scenes to make it look good. And I watched it and I was like, this, this was horrible. And then I decided, well, maybe I'll watch the cartoon. And I watched, um, cause I, I had seen the final four episodes previously. So I knew it was at least good. And then I watched the, um, Ember Island players first. I don't know how I landed on that one, but I chose that one. And with, that was, a pretty interesting way, because I kind of got the overview of the entire series up to that point. Uh, because they spoofed themselves in their own show, and it's awesome! Um, so that that that's a really backwards way to do it. Well, that's how I came to fall in love with this show. Well, it's a good show to fall in love with. And just because the movie's bad doesn't make the show bad, so... What um, movie? The movie doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. Sky, thank you once again for coming on. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I love talking about Avatar and stuff in general. Awesome, man. Well, where can people find you if they want to hear you talk about more stuff? Well, I have my own podcast now. Uh, it's called Pop Culture Failure. Uh, my buddy and I are currently watching uh, Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation. It's not like the show is bad, but that's kind of the, the idea of the show, where we watch something from our youth that we may remember fondly and see if it holds up. Uh, we're only... Uh, you know, we're only into this first season. Uh, we're only about 10 episodes in at this point. But, you know, it's it's fun to do the podcast. It's not fun to watch the show. Uh, you can follow me at, at Sandwich Surplus on Twitter. I'm also, um, I run the Twitter for Pop Culture Failure, but it's Failed Pop Culture because someone had that one. Uh, so Failed Pop Culture, no E at the end. And then I'm Sandwich Surplus on all the social medias if you wanted to follow me there. You can find us on the internet at fifthdraw.com. Follow us on Twitter at FifthDraw, or email us at social at FifthDraw.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Hoodley. If you enjoyed this episode, why not give us a rating and a review, or maybe tell a friend? Getting the word out helps us immensely. Our music is Arcade Montage by Lee Rosevere and can be found at the Free Music Archive. That's all for this week. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>